Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Pete Waltz. This week, we continue our focus on the biggest issues affecting businesses and organizations globally, which is the spread of COVID-19. And along with bringing you updates and critical events happening all around the world, we're fortunate to have the chance to bring our local ELA lawyers into the conversation. They're practicing on the ground in these jurisdictions around the world, working daily to help their local clients move through these difficult times. Since the outbreak began, we've had updates from ELA colleagues in China, Italy, France, India, all across North America. And we've started to shift our focus to the African continent, where the spread of COVID-19 is at a different stage than other parts of the world. Joining us today on the program is Shemaine Amin, a partner at ALN Tanzania. She's joining us from DAR, and hopefully Shemaine will shed some light on how business has been impacted in this country, what some of the recent legislation and government directives are, and how they're coping with this situation. Shemaine, welcome to the program. I hope you're safe and sound. Thanks, Peter. It's a pleasure to join you. So let's talk a bit about the situation on the ground in Tanzania at the moment. What are some of the restrictions on movement, for example? Thanks, Peter. Similar to what we're seeing around the globe, the severity of the pandemic has brought uncertainty to all aspects of day-to-day life. In the commercial capital, Dar es Salaam, there is less hustle and bustle as people are trying to come to terms with what COVID-19 means for them from a personal and a business standpoint. To just recap very briefly, the first reported case of COVID-19 in Tanzania was mid-March. Now, about six weeks later, we have just under 300 reported cases and approximately 10 deaths. During this period, the government has taken a number of measures to increase awareness about the pandemic, urging social distancing and the importance of taking precautionary measures from a health perspective. There are no more international flights into or out of the country, schools remain closed, and restaurants and bars are only allowed to provide takeaway and delivery services. That being said, one of the things that sets Tanzania apart from other countries is that neither a lockdown nor a curfew have been imposed to date. In fact, just last week, the government categorically ruled out a lockdown, suggesting that business must continue as usual. So no lockdown, no curfew. Well, that's an unusual situation based on how other countries are dealing with this. How is this impacting, you know, business operations? So the absence of official directives that restrict movement, such as a lockdown or a curfew, preserve an employer's right to decide whether they want to operate or not, and if they do, how they want to do so. Furthermore, the absence of any proposed changes to the employment legislation due to COVID also affords employers the flexibility to develop tailor-made plans that suit the needs of their business, provided, of course, they're within the bounds of the law. Now, you know, Peter, empowerment and flexibility of this nature comes with a tremendous amount of responsibility on the part of the employer to mitigate risk and act cautiously when making their people-related decisions. And it's about finding the balance between protecting the well-being of employees while taking into consideration the sustainability of the business. So I've got to believe with, you know, the virus spreading in your country and there's no formal government policy, people are still voting with their feet. You know, they're not attending restaurants. They're not going to those other places. Those are still closed. So is the government offering any form of fiscal relief to employers? You know, looking across the globe, we see a spectrum of government response, both in terms of substance and timing, which in large part reflects the resources available to those governments. Generally speaking, the constraints faced by developing countries simply do not allow them to offer the forms of relief that are being offered in parts of the developing world. And Tanzania, unfortunately, doesn't have that luxury. 
Now, fully appreciating that the government has allocated resources and taken active measures to curb the spread of COVID-19 in the country, to date, no COVID-related fiscal relief has been offered to employers. Now, from an economic perspective, this means that there is a much greater financial pressure on employers because the adverse impact of COVID-19 on their businesses isn't being externally cushioned. Unfortunately, this has forced many employers to assess a range of options in terms of how to manage their workforce. Let's talk about some of these options that employers are considering and, and how they're going to play out from a legal perspective. So, for example, can employers require employees to take outstanding leave days during the period? Give us some sense of that. You know, Peter, it goes without saying that there is no one-shoe-fits-all solution when it comes to managing an employer's obligations to its employees amidst the pandemic. There's the practical element. To give you a very basic example, while it may be feasible for some employers to carry out the majority of their tasks remotely, this is simply not an option for employers that need their employees to be physically present at a specific location in order for operations to continue. And there's also the economic element. Even if an employer can overcome the logistical hurdles, how long will they be able to sustain in what is already a tough economic climate? In terms of employer response, there is a mixed bag of options that are available. And what we are seeing is a progression in terms of the type of options that are being considered and implemented. Generally speaking, practical challenges are more front and center at the outset because employers need to manage the immediate risk of requiring people to come to work, along with, in most cases, a decline in the need for manpower. In those circumstances, requiring employees to take outstanding leave is one of the first responses that we've seen. Now, under Tanzanian law, the Employment and Labor Relations Act allows an employer to determine when annual leave is to be taken, provided that it's not taken later than six months after the end of the leave cycle. If the leave is to be taken more than 12 months after the end of the leave cycle, then employee consent is required, and the extension needs to be justified by the operational requirements of the employer. Accordingly, we've seen a number of employers require their employees to take outstanding leave, and from an administrative standpoint, this option is somewhat easier to implement. The challenge, however, is that using outstanding leave days is a short-term solution for what appears to be a long-term problem, and it begs the question, what happens when the outstanding leave days run out and things are not back to normal, or rather some semblance of normalcy? At that point, other options employers are considering include requiring employees to take future leave from the next cycle, which hasn't accrued yet, or in some cases, unpaid leave. So an employer can ask an employee to take unpaid leave or unaccrued leave? That's possible? Under Tanzanian law, Peter, it is. And, and interestingly, our, our laws do not specifically address requiring an employee to take unaccrued leave or unpaid leave. But both options do remain open for an employer, provided that they consult with the employees and preferably obtain their consent. This is similar to what we see in, in other jurisdictions in the region, uh, such as Kenya, although we do find that, that some of those jurisdictions have an explicit consent requirement. So whereas our laws require employers to consult with their employees where any term or condition of employment changes and to notify them of that change in writing, the laws are silent on whether the consent is required before the change can be effected. So that's when we turn to you know, best practices and precedent, which suggests that the consent of the employee should be obtained. And you know, what we'd recommend in, in these situations is that following consultation, the employer should document the consent of the employees with regard to taking unpaid leave, uh, including the duration for which that arrangement is expected to continue. 
Uh, and, and also what I'd like to point out is that this requirement to consult and ideally to obtain consent would similarly apply for any other changes to the terms of the employment contract. So this would include, you know, a potential reduction in salary, for example, or a change in working hours. One of the things that we see, for instance, in, in industrial or manufacturing sectors is shifts being limited and, and therefore the corresponding pay is reduced. So it would be important to consult and get consent on these types of, of substantive changes. And, you know, it's really important that employers follow due process and engage their employees on the changes that are being contemplated before they actually, you know, go ahead and implement so can employers declare redundancies at this time? Is that anything specific to COVID or is it business as usual? If you need to do layoffs and redundancies, you can do it. What's the plan there? So, so on that, Peter, it's business as usual. Uh, if, if you do need to uh, proceed with the redundancy, the option remains open to you. So there are provisions under Tanzanian law which allow employers to terminate employment contracts on account of redundancy due to operational requirements. And this is provided that the procedural and substantive obligations that are set out in the employment laws are met. And our Employment Act defines an operational requirement as a requirement based on the economic, technological, structural, or similar needs of the employer. So specifically in the context of COVID-19, to the extent that an employer can demonstrate that the pandemic has impacted the employer's operational requirements, then it may be considered as a factor which has led an employer to contemplate redundancy. Now, it goes without saying that redundancy should be a last resort, and to the extent that COVID has forced an employer to consider going down this path, it is critical that employers satisfy the procedural and substantive obligations under the law, and this includes a number of things, some of which are providing appropriate notice, consulting with employees, and exploring ways to minimize or avoid a potential redundancy. So what kind of advice are you giving employers that still have staff physically coming to work? This is actually a great question, Peter. And I, and I think given that a lockdown has at least for now been, been ruled out in Tanzania, it's, it's very relevant to most of the uh, employers that have operations in the country. I think that the sheer amount of information that is circulating on social media, in the news, through word of mouth, about the importance of social distancing, washing your hands, so on and so forth, can lead an employer to mistakenly assume that his or her employees are aware of the risks and precautionary measures that they need to take. And an employer simply cannot afford to be passive or to make any assumptions when it comes to mitigating the health risks that the pandemic may pose to their employees. So in fact, our occupational health and safety laws in Tanzania impose a legal obligation on employers to ensure the safety, health, and welfare at work for all persons working at the workplace. As a result, employers must not only put in place measures to protect their employees from the potential spread of COVID-19 at the workplace, but they also need an action plan for a worst case scenario in which one of their employees may become affected because it could also pose a risk to the safety, health, and welfare of other persons in the workplace. It's, it's important to note that, you know, an employer may be found liable under our occupational health and safety laws if they've breached their obligations, regardless of whether an employee was affected, or rather I should say infected, at the place of work. And in many cases, that would be hard to prove. What I would strongly encourage employers to do is that if they still have staff coming into the workplace, they should carefully prepare and circulate to their employees a clear and detailed COVID-19 policy for their operations. 
This is something that we're advising a number of clients on. It goes beyond the basics of frequently washing your hands or sanitizing. It's a comprehensive policy that you know, ideally covers everything from changes to standard operating procedures, key contacts, channels for escalating issues or reporting incidents, identifying the type of information that employees would be required to disclose, so on and so forth. And in addition, once the policy is prepared, it's important to note that there should be a process in place to monitor its implementation and enforcement. And there needs to be a feedback cycle, which allows for adjustments to be made as the situation evolves, so as to ensure that the policy doesn't become outdated. So let's say that one of their employees is infected with COVID-19. Does the employer have a legal obligation to notify the other employees that this infection of one of their colleagues has happened? So although there are no specific COVID-19 laws or directives in Tanzania, which obligate an employer to notify employees in such a situation, as I mentioned earlier, there is you know, a general duty on employers under the Occupational Health and Safety Act to ensure the safety, health, and welfare at work for all persons that are working at the workplace. Now, if an employee is infected with the virus, then it poses a risk to the safety and health of, of other employees. And accordingly, our interpretation is that under these laws, the employer would be required to appropriately disclose that someone in the workplace has been exposed to COVID-19 without necessarily disclosing the identity of that employee in order to protect their privacy. And this disclosure would then allow the employees to, you know, take appropriate next steps from a health and safety perspective, be that self-quarantine or seeking medical advice. So, Shemaine, let's assume someone was infected at the workplace. Is the employer obligated to close the place of work where the employee was affected? And, and if so, then at what stage can they reopen the place of work? Again, Peter, this comes back to the fact that there's no specific legislation, COVID-related legislation on this point. But coming back to the general duty under the occupational health and safety laws, they would obligate an employer to close the place of work in order to manage the risk and protect their employees from the potential spread of the virus. Now, our laws don't specify at what stage the place of work can be reopened, but we would suspect this would be determined by the employer in conjunction with the health authorities, following an assessment of whether the premises has been appropriately cleaned and sanitized, and that the relevant risk factors have been addressed. Well, Shemaine, this has been very interesting, and it sounds like you've got some great advice for clients, and people are starting to make significant plans. But Kind of in closing, what recommendations do you have for employers in Tanzania that are trying to map a way forward in this current environment? Thanks, Peter. I think, you know, in summary, I would say there are, there are probably four take-home points for, for employers at this time. And they are to be well-informed, to be proactive, to be agile, and, and to be cautious. You know, first and foremost, before making employment-related decisions, employers should have a clear understanding of what their obligations are. And this goes beyond what's written in an employment contract. Being well-informed requires a 360 review of your obligations to all your stakeholders, not just your employees, which may be set out in various agreements and under multiple pieces of legislation. On the second point, the biggest mistake that employers risk making at this time is being passive. And I think proactively managing your employees and the impact that the pandemic has on your business is essential. And on the third point, the reality is sinking in across the globe that the spread of COVID-19 and its impact are expected to last a lot longer than any of us imagined. 
And as we assess impact over the next few years, it reminds us of the importance of agility. It's not so much about preparing for post-COVID than it is about preparing for an extended period of operating in the presence of COVID and then dealing with a post-COVID world if and when that happens. And during this time, the point that I want to make is that the market dynamics will have shifted considerably, and we can expect a lot more disruption in business operations due to technology, innovation, and rapidly changing consumer needs. We also expect to see a shift in terms of our people-related needs as a business and the needs of our employees. So I think agility and being forward-looking will better prepare employers for that reality. And finally, there is a need for employers to ensure that they have obtained appropriate and comprehensive advice before executing their plans. And, you know, being cautious at this stage will surely help mitigate exposure down the line. And we expect that amidst the chaos, issues relating to liability that may not raise a red flag right now could, in fact, prove to be costly and time consuming at a later stage once the dust has settled. Shemaine, great advice, and not only for employers in Tanzania, but I'm sure our listeners around the globe are taking some of your advice to heart. So thank you so much for contributing today. I hope you and your family stay safe. Thank you very much, Peter. It was a pleasure to join the ELA on this podcast. If you'd like to connect with Shemaine Amin from ANK, the ELA member in Tanzania, or any of our lawyers from around the world, please search for them on the ELA website at ela.law. Just go to the big Find a Lawyer widget in the center of the page, click on the drop-down box, choose your jurisdiction, Reach out to our lawyers by email or phone directly. On the website, you can also sign up for upcoming webinars, download white papers, get access to our on-demand content, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Pete Waltz. Thanks for listening.